Welcome to VR Hermits, a podcast about virtual reality development. I'm Dave Ramsey. And I'm Joe Simpson. Let's get started. So this is going to be a weird episode. Yeah. Mainly, we have reversed the polarity on energy for this episode. <laughs> usually, usually when we record, it's towards the end of the day, 6 p.m. or 9 p.m., and I am pretty much mentally checked out, and Dave is very much a night owl and just kind of getting into his primetime thinking. And uh, today is the exact opposite. We're recording this at about 10 a.m., and I am very much a morning person. I've been up since 5 a.m. reading and installing SDKs and pouring over documentation and taking walks and hanging out with dogs and just doing all kinds of stuff that no one should ever do before noon. And uh, so, yeah, it's going to be a bit different than some shows because I'm actually awake and not full of existential dread. (laughs) And I woke up almost exactly an hour ago. Nice. So let's do it. All right. So before I've got a pretty lengthy agenda. So before that, why don't you give us your VR update for the week? I think we just did. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, mean. <laughs> <laughs> I was working on other stuff this week and just yeah. haven't gotten to it, which is going to be really embarrassing when you hear about all the stuff that Joe was doing this week. Yeah. So Joe. Uh, so I have been, we talked about um, my interest in web VR and a frame last week a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I spent a good part of the week checking into that stuff. Um, I still had a lot of consulting work to do, so that did take the bulk of my work time this week, but I had a lot of time to dabble in this stuff as well. And it was really, really good timing to dive into web VR and a frame because the, about an hour after I started looking into it, Firefox released, they shipped their publicly available version of Firefox that supports A-Frame. So up until then, it's been in the experimental nightly build version of Firefox, and now it's live. And anybody with a Vive or a Rift can go download Firefox and jump into WebVR sites in the headset, and it's pretty cool. So it was just neat timing how it all worked out. I had just installed the nightly build and then saw a tweet from Firefox, like, Oh, I, I don't need this. I can just use the regular one. Um, but yeah, I did a lot of reading on A-Frame, watched some videos on it, both A-Frame and WebVR. A-Frame is basically just a a framework to make working in WebVR a little bit easier. You don't have to use it to make WebVR stuff. Okay. Um, but the cool thing about the entire platform is it's because they're designing this from the ground up, they're not making the same mistakes that we're not, not necessarily mistakes, but they're not falling into the same traps that web did over the years. For instance, we don't have to bolt on responsive design to existing HTML. Web VR is assuming that this should be responsive and support multiple devices right out of the gate. So even if you don't have a VR headset, you can still make web vr content and you can still use web vr content just with a mouse and keyboard and a screen um so anytime you you click on a link and it 
you know, somebody is sharing some 3D assets on Sketchfab or something like that, you can still view all that stuff and pan around inside that world. You're just looking at a screen. So does so, it does it like pop up a hey you've hit a VR thing do you want to do this or does it just yeah, there, make it happen? Yeah, there's a little VR icon in the in the viewport window. If you click on that, it'll go into VR mode. Other than that, you can just scroll around in the viewport in in the browser. Okay. Um. So the. The main resources that I have been spending time with is obviously the A-Frame site itself. Um, that's probably the best place to start. And there is a link to documentation and a link to Learn A-Frame, which is a sub-portion of their documentation. Their documentation is really well written. Um, but then there's like a little tutorial series that you can go through. And there is a companion site called glitch.com which is an in-browser editor that you can use. Um, basically, every project is a, a mini web server where you can have all your, all your HTML and CSS and JavaScript files in one place and just write code on the fly and see updates right away. You, you don't need to use that. You can just, you know, if you're a web developer, you can just do whatever workflow you normally use. Um, but in terms of just getting started, Glitch is actually really cool because you can just fork somebody else's code. There's all kinds of mini projects. You can just make a copy of that and dive right in and then preview in another tab in the browser. Um, it's probably the lowest barrier to entry to VR development I've seen so far. Like within within half an hour of me getting up that day and deciding to okay, today's going to be the day I learned some A-frame stuff. Within half an hour, I was in the headset in a little room that I had created with some stuff, which is, you can't really pull that off with Unity or Unreal Engine. There's a lot more installing stuff and agreeing to stuff and SDKs and downloads and assets and documentation, where this was just, you know, clicking through a couple of links, reading a couple of articles, and then uh, throwing the headset on. Okay, gotcha. Now that's now. Now I'm starting to become interested. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I would urge anybody with a Vive or Rift to get Firefox if you don't already have Firefox, and start at aframe.io or glitch.com-tilde uh, aframe. We'll get you to their stuff as well, um, and just play around with some stuff. The some of the demos on the A-Frame site, I was expecting this to be much more of a content viewer, like great for 3D photos or viewing 3D assets, stuff like that. But there are full-fledged motion-tracked games as well, and they run really well, surprisingly well. Um, I had a little bit of head tracking issues, and I thought that was either Firefox or A-Frame at first, but now I think that's actually my Vive. I think I just messed up something with the tracking. I probably just need to reinstall SteamVR or something. It wasn't enough to ruin the gameplay, but I wouldn't necessarily have anybody else use my headset right now. <laughs> it might scare them. Um, but yeah, I've seen some pretty cool stuff. There's some really great demos out there. There's a huge community of people doing it. Um, there's some commercial successes already, like Sketchfab. And uh, yeah, I think it's pretty exciting. 
So as I was diving more and more into WebVR, I found myself in a couple of Google I.O. videos. Google is also a huge supporter of WebVR, and they have, earlier this year, they shipped a version of Chrome for Android that supports WebVR. It it had been um, like a developer preview or an experimental feature until that point, but it's actually built into the Android version of Chrome now, and it's working. It doesn't work... It, it works perfectly, but it doesn't have all the daydream mojo. Um, basically, you, you're you on the phone in 2D. You find something on, on the web that is a VR asset, and you click the little VR button, and you can go into it that way. Um, but that was enough. Watching that video, and then somehow I spent Ended up spending an entire day watching Google I.O. videos. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny how that happens. They, uh, they have an entire another version of Chrome that's going to be made for Daydream 2, which will be coming out this fall. So a good example is they've on Android, they've got the YouTube application and the YouTube VR application. They both show you VR content. One of them is just made with a full... Um, VR interface with. Same thing with Netflix as well. There's a Netflix app and there's a Netflix VR app and uh, just two different interfaces for the same thing. I don't know why they didn't work into the same app, but they didn't. And So there's going to be a version of Chrome coming for Daydream where you can use Chrome VR both for 2D sites or VR sites and just stay in the headset while you're browsing instead of you know bouncing back to Flatland. So that combined with a f- knowing that was coming was enough to make me buy a Pixel. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been an, an iOS user since pretty much the only smartphones I've ever had have been iPhones. <clears throat> uh, the, I got into the smartphone pretty late. I think 2012 was the first time I owned a smartphone. Okay. Um, it was given to me at work. We were doing FileMaker development and FileMaker Go development, so we got iPhones, iPhone 5 in this case. And I've, I got an iPhone 6 two years after that, and then an iPhone 7 two years after that. And I've always kept these phones because I've always been doing some kind of FileMaker Go work, and I'm not now. So the I've been looking at Pixel for a while, and I had planned to seriously consider getting the Pixel 2 when it comes out this fall, but the combination of the the stuff that's coming for Daydream, the stuff that's already there for Daydream, and the fact that Google slashed the price $200 and gave me the Daydream headset for free, like, yeah, this is a good time to do this. Let's go ahead and jump now. Yeah. So, you know, it was kind of an impulse buy, definitely. Um, I ordered that sometime... Tuesday afternoon, and it was here Wednesday morning, which was pretty awesome. And uh, pretty much just spent all of Wednesday learning a little bit about Android and setting up some stuff in Daydream and just trying out some of the sample apps. There's a lot of really good content on the store. It's it's a very small selection of content right now. It's about 150 apps and games. But everything is there. It is a very curated store. There's a much higher standard of quality 
that you have to pass to get anything into this VR store. Um, so everything that I've tried has been really top-notch, very well-designed, both visually, the sound design is really good, uh, just really good experiences. And then there's also a couple of, um, I guess, mini-applications for developers or designers that Google have put together just to teach you a little bit about how to develop for the Daydream platform. So there's one called uh, Daydream Elements that'll show you a little bit about different navigation and UI stuff and explain some of the methodology and the pros and cons for using different features. And then there's also Audio Factory, which is a basically just a way of showing off their audio SDK for VR, but you play a little mini game where you ride up an elevator and solve these little challenges to activate different sound things when you get to the top of the building and you've unlocked all of the instruments. You play this little song and you're rewarded with that. And uh, just a really neat experience um, with, with sound and the controller. The Daydream headset itself and the controller it comes with um i had really low expectations I, I really was buying this to get a web vr viewer and didn't really have a very high hopes for the headset itself but it's actually pretty good visually the screen is just gorgeous on the phone it's an amoled display it's the first amoled anything i've ever seen um and it just looks really, really good. And then the the lenses are good. You do still see pixels if you're looking for them, but they're not as pronounced as the Vive. And uh, in terms of comfort, it's this is not a jumping around room scale fighting game type of headset. This is a sit on the couch or lay in bed and watch Netflix type of headset. This is a or snack size VR. Is a good way to describe it. Is that your phrase or somebody else's? That's mine. Okay, good. Um, the the controller is it's not a motion controller in the sense that the Vive has motion controllers. This is it's a Bluetooth controller. It's shaped like a little remote. It's it's kind of between a controller and a laser pointer, and. Most of the applications I've seen use some kind of laser pointer ray casting to interact with the world as opposed to, I guess there have been a couple of ray gun type things. But um, The biggest downside is you have to recalibrate it a lot. You just you hold it straight forward, point it forward, and hold the little calibration button because there is some drift. This has no external tracking of any kind. There's no sensors anywhere. There's no inside out tracking. It's just three degrees of freedom, and so you, the world can get a little off-center after a while. Gotcha. Okay. So positioning will shift a little bit, and suddenly your hand isn't where your hand is supposed to be. Mm, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, it's pretty impressive. I have, I have not got anything running on Daydream yet. I started looking into that today. And... Uh, a lot of the Unreal Engine stuff, I started following the Unreal Engine documentation for how to get started with Daydream, and links were broken. I need custom builds of Unreal Engine, 
that are no longer available on GitHub. Entire repositories are missing, not just specific instances, and both Google and Unreal Engine are pointing to the same stuff. So I couldn't really figure out what to do. So I decided to see what it was like on the Unity side. <laughs> Is that funny? I just I just had this sudden realization that like this was the week where Joe discarded every single piece of technology, software or hardware related in his entire world and replaced them all, just supplanted them all in a single week. It was like, nope, I'm not going to do that anymore. Let's go do something entirely different It at every single point. I mean, you, you get your new mouse too, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I switched, switched to a trackball a couple of weeks ago. I switched from Office 365 to Google Apps. Um, I switched over to using an Android device as my full-time phone. We'll talk about that towards the end of the podcast. I, and I'm not giving up on Unreal Engine. I think that's a valuable tool, and I'm definitely going to keep doing stuff with it. But I just decided to see what the experience was like mm-hmm. on Unity today. I have no idea if I'll get much further along than I am now. I got Unity installed and got the Android SDK installed and haven't figured out what to do next. Like I made a sample project and I can view it in the viewport, but I haven't got it running on the device yet. So one of the biggest downsides as I was reading the documentation, this is true for both Unity and Unreal Engine when working with Daydream, is you can work in the viewport and just play your app on screen as you're developing which is pretty common. You don't necessarily always want to have your device plugged in. But the only way to get a controller working with that experience is to use a controller emulator, which requires an entire other Android device. You can't use the one you're building on. You actually have to have a second Android device that you can set up in this controller emulation mode. I'm like, uh, I don't know about that. Do I really want to buy another Android device right now? So I may ask around with some friends to see if anybody has an old phone they don't care about. Normally I would have a response to that, but I don't even know how to respond. Yeah, I thought that was very, very odd. Like, why can't you just ship me another one of these remotes? Why can't I use this one? It's just a Bluetooth remote. Why can't I just pair it with the PC and and keep going? Yeah, your emulator doesn't... Well, I mean... So you bump into weird stuff like when I'm running with a VM or something like that, it'll have to pick which, which operating system the USB device will get connected to. Mm-hmm. And it may be a thing of... There may be something in there related where your pointer is paired with the phone, not the emulator of the phone that is now feeding its video to the phone. I don't know. I I don't have a good explanation. I'm trying to I'm trying to come up with some kind of excuse where that makes any sense. (laughs) I'm having trouble. Well, no, to be clear, you're not you're not emulating the VR experience. You're just playing the VR experience in the Unity or Unreal Engine viewport, and you're emulating the controller with a phone. So the entire phone is just an emulator to be the touch controller. Okay. So yeah, it's kind of crazy. 
The controller itself, um, it's got a little trackpad that you can use for kind of mousing around and clicking. And then it's got an application button and a home button. And then to, you've also got some inputs. You can click the application button or hold it, get two different inputs there, or click the home button or hold it to do the recalibration thing. It also conveniently has volume, a volume walker on the side, which is pretty handy. Um, I kind of wish, after having that for like half an hour, I immediately wish the Vive had that on one of the controllers. Because I think adjusting audio while you're in VR is kind of a pain. We have to open the Steam VR dashboard and kind of drag the slider, but never get it quite right. I I don't know. I've never done it. <laughs> you never adjusted audio when you're in VR. I've never done it once. <laughs> Probably because I have no idea how to. But yeah, um, I just like like some games are ridiculously loud, and some of them are not loud enough. I I found a reasonably moderate volume and just left it there. I haven't touched it once. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, this little controller, it's really comfortable to hold. Um, you can do a lot more with it than I thought. People are really taking advantage of it in different apps and games. And it re- the closest thing it resembles is the Apple TV remote, only it's not a piece of garbage. <laughs> oh, okay, gotcha. I was getting worried for a second. Yeah, the, this is if Apple needs to make an Apple TV remote that's more like this Daydream controller. Apple's remote has a little touch surface and six buttons, and like two of them are reserved for system stuff, and one of them is a microphone. Like it's, it's just a bad layout. The icons are kind of stupid. Yeah, it's just generally not good. Yeah, and no the the, the um the Apple TV controller for the latest version of the Apple TV is Apple is this generation's version of the puck mouse. It's it's objectively bad for basically everybody who uses it. And it's the height of hubris that they're still producing the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I'd I'd have issued this is I I think that controller is so bad that it should have had one of those open apology letters from Apple like we got with Maps. Like oh my gosh I'm sorry we did this it seemed like a really good idea in the lab but when we actually got it out and started seeing how people were using it we realized that this thing was just a steaming pile of garbage and you deserve better from us so we're going to work really hard on on replacing this with something better and. And mm-hmm. actually usable. Yeah, and as a way of apology, we've we've built a time machine. We've gone back <laughs> in time, and we've destroyed the engineers who made this. They will never come into the world. <laughs> we destroyed their great great grandparents, and mm-hmm. now, yeah, I. It's it's a objectively bad piece of hardware for almost any use. I I just don't understand well part of the difficulty is i do understand but we've talked about this in other podcasts please proceed because we're talking about good hardware made by google Mm -hmm. which my brain just snapped a little bit when it started (laughs) saying that but i kind of had to complete the sentence yeah proceed joe 
Yeah, so the controller is probably the best part of the experience. You can actually use Daydream with a number of other headsets, but you do need this controller. And don't think they're selling the controller by itself yet. So I've seen a couple of YouTube reviews of people that have the Daydream headset popping in different headsets. And there's a way in the um, Daydream app to pair different headsets with it. Every Most of these mobile VR headsets come with a QR code, and you just scan that, and Daydream kind of reconfigures itself for those lenses which is pretty cool. Um, it's awesome that Google was doing that. I, I, I hope to see them start selling these remotes by themselves or even more sophisticated controllers later on. Um, the headset itself is, I think it's perfectly comfortable. I can definitely see it being different for different people. Um, if if you've got a, a larger head, this is probably not going to be comfortable. Um, it is much smaller than the Vive. Yeah, it's, just, it's it's very, very much smaller. It's way more comfortable with, with my glasses on than the Vive. So whenever I have the Vive on for 45 minutes to an hour, the Vive pushes on my glasses on the sides in such a way that it kind of also pushes up on the bridge of my nose. And I have some pretty bendy glasses, so I'm not worried about bending them. They're, they're made to be flexible and bent, and they always snap back into shape. But I end up with a red mark and a headache after about an hour where of these glasses just mashing into the top of my nose. And uh, that doesn't happen with this headset. They also learn from the icky Vive foam and gave you this kind of rubberized foam that you can just pop out and throw in the washing machine with your clothes. And I think this that is great. I think every HMD needs to have that from now on. So is it closed cell or open cell or what's up? What's that mean? Um, so really, really firm foam will be closed cell because when you squeeze it, like air doesn't come out of the foam. Um, this isn't, this isn't foam in there should in any sense that I've seen before. It's okay. got like a, a really soft cloth over it like a microfiber cloth and there's something underneath of it that's squishy. Okay. Gotcha. But it's pretty comfy. Okay. Now the biggest downside to daydream so far, at least with the pixel, there are, I think 10 other phones that support daydream. Now Uh, a year ago, there was just one. So they're really expanding pretty quickly, but with the pixel, I got the pixel XL and this thing gets very hot. Um, after about 45 minutes in VR, it will be boiling your face, and eventually you'll be prompted to take this thing off now. Um, so a little, there's a in the Daydream SDK, there is a thermal warning indicator that just tells you, okay, your VR experience is over. It's time <laughs> to take the headset off. <laughs> so that's a problem, definitely. Um, I know that Samsung has been out, Samsung Gear VR has been out for quite a bit longer, and they had some major thermal issues with the first couple of versions, and they've certainly made a lot of improvements. There are some hilariously creative people doing some workarounds with the Daydream headset, people making heat sinks out of tinfoil, like hanging heat sink flaps while they're in, in the headset, which is great. One guy made an entire fan system with 
computer parts. Uh, like, yeah, it's pretty great. There's like an entire case he made to put the phone in, and then there's a fan pulling air across it. And yeah, it's there's some pretty cool stuff out there. Um, more importantly, they just need to fix the thermal issues. Some of it is going to be hardware related. Um, some of it is performance related, depending on the applications. Like if I'm just watching YouTube videos in the 2D screen, I could probably stay in there for two hours without overheating the phone. But if I'm playing a pretty active game with lots of graphics and assets, then I may only get half an hour. Hmm. I also think they did make some improvements this year at Google I/O, where they have the the new uh, Surat. I think I'm probably mispronouncing that. Which is a new rendering API that basically takes snapshots uh, from from the camera position in VR. It takes snapshots of how the scene should be rendered and kind of redoes it and just renders what the user can see. And I'm explaining that badly, but there's some documentation on Google's VR site that has some graphics that show it a lot better than I can explain it verbally. But basically, if you're if you're looking at a cube and you're only seeing three faces of the cube, this doesn't render the entire cube. It just renders what you can see. Okay. So it's, it's a pretty massive performance increases. Well, in general, that's the actually the way 3D renders are supposed to work down at like the OpenGL level and and things like that. Um, the you get into. Um, right-handed triangles and left-handed triangles mm-hmm. you know, defining the vertices of the triangle always in the same direction so that the renderer can say that from your viewpoint if the triangle looks like it should be done in like counterclockwise then it knows that you can't actually see that triangle and to not render it um which is kind of crazy but yeah yeah there's there's a ton of stuff I don't understand about this yet. Um, mainly, I haven't gotten even the tiniest snippet of code running on the headset yet. So definitely a lot more to learn. Um, so I guess a, a, a secondary topic. I had been working on a project in July, towards the end of June and beginning of July, that I kind of just hit a wall and put it on hold when I went on vacation and thought about it for a while. And at this point I've completely given up on that project. Maybe not forever. I I still think it's a good idea and it would be a really fun game both to make and to play. But I think it's just too ambitious of an idea for me right now as a first project. So I decided to just archive that for now and came up with a much more simple idea. And this idea may be something I make for daydream or for Steam VR. Um, not really sure. I'm I think I'm gonna spend some time this week trying to make as much as I can in Daydream or in Unreal Engine or Unity targeting Daydream because anything that I do there, graphically anyway, um, will run really, really great on the PC. Right. <clears throat> but there is I guess the reason I'm excited about this, Samsung VR has always been interesting. I don't have a Samsung device. I never really felt compelled to get a Samsung VI, Samsung device, but it's always just seemed like 
just something that Oculus handed out to the community, like, hey, we're still working on these developer kits. Here's this for now. Take this and go. And that's kind of what the, the feeling I got from a lot of the podcasts when I listened to you know, my podcast, History of VR. There was a lot of initial reactions of like, what is this? This is not what we signed up for. Get us our real headsets. Like, Quit messing around with this stuff. Um, people have definitely changed their tone on that. There's some really great Samsung VR stuff out there. But it does. it's Samsung VR. You have to have one of their phones. Whereas Daydream is available on 11 phones already, including some Samsung phones. So you can actually get a phone from Samsung and have Samsung VR and Daydream. But the Daydream platform, I think, is a step in the right direction for from an application developer standpoint. I think it's a much better publishing platform than Samsung or Oculus. Um, I, I know that Google Play Store has some issues, just like the App Store, but the fact that they are really, really curating this content and they have very clear, easy-to-understand documentation of what your app must do to be considered for the VR Store. Not, not little suggestions or best practices. It will do these things or it will not get past our review. And I think that's great. I love working in constraints like that. I know a lot of people will react badly against that. Like, I don't want some other authority telling me what I can and can't do. But I, I personally like to develop and design in some constraints. And I can make up my own if I need to. Or I can just follow this four pages of documentation. And uh, you can do some pretty cool stuff with it. So the apps that I played in Daydream so far... They don't seem limited in any way because of those constraints. They seem they seem better. They seem more designed because these design constraints really make you evaluate how you're going to do certain things in your application. Now, in terms of... I've been struggling how to explain this all week. A lot of the YouTube reviews I saw on Daydream, people kept saying it's not as high quality of experience as a Vive or a Rift. And I don't think that's the right term. I think caliber might be closer to it, but I'm open to another word. But the Vive and the Rift in a powerful PC is obviously a more powerful experience. You can do more. It has more features. It can render richer graphics. You've got base stations or cameras to do tracking. It's just an all-around more capable, more feature-packed experience. The Daydream has pretty good head tracking. The visuals are pretty stunning. You're not going to get... I haven't seen anything graphically that approaches photorealism because nobody's trying. Everyone's going for really beautiful, stylized assets and making some really compelling stuff. And I, I like that a lot. I really don't care about the you know, the photorealistic VR. I know a lot of people do, but I already have photorealistic vision. I can see the real world. I don't really want to create that in a headset. Um, so yeah, it, it, it looks great. The controller is not as nearly as complex or powerful as the desktop versions, but it's definitely not a terms, it's not a difference of quality. The quality of the applications is pretty high. I've downloaded some stuff in Steam that is fantastic, things like Trickster, and I've also tried 
at least 10 applications on Steam VR. It's like, this was a waste of my money. <laughs> this was a waste of my internet bandwidth downloading this. So it's much more hit and miss, where everything I've tried so far on Daydream has been pretty, pretty good. And I'm sure that it will probably change over time. At some point, they'll probably lower their restrictions, which I kind of hope they don't. Um, but I think I've... <laughs> they, uh, I, I tried two or three games, and then they put their little summer sale out, which is only nine games, and I bought all of them. Like, didn't even care what they were. I was like, everything I've tried so far has been top-notch, so I just dumped $20 <laughs> into these other games. <laughs> Proceed. So, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Um, I may, this week, look into actually installing some of the beta software or developer software on the Pixel to see if I can... I, I'm only going to do that if I can get the early versions of Daydream ru- running because by the time I'm able to have something released, it would be on that second iteration anyway. Um, but if 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 I can just only install the next version of Android without that, then there's not really any reason for me to do that. Um, but yeah, I'm going to spend some time this week learning how to get Daydream apps running just want to step into my own world there whether that's in unity or unreal engine i'm trying out unity because frankly it's more documented on the daydream side um and the links aren't broken (laughs) but yeah i'm not opposed to i've said all, all along I was interested in Unreal Engine because that was what was interesting to me at the time. I've never picked one or the other. I've always wanted to learn both. Now I want to learn Unreal Engine and Unity and WebVR stuff and more A-frame stuff. There just isn't enough time. I don't know. Dave, have you ever seen Dragon Ball Z? Um, I have physically seen it, but I've never like watched it. One of the little kind of gimmicks in the show, there's this this one chamber called the Hyperbaric Time Chamber where some of the good guys can go and they can train and basically do the DBZ version of leveling up for an entire year while only one day passes on the outside. <laughs> I need one of those. Yeah, I need one of those and a laptop and a year supply of Soylent and just somebody leave me alone. I um, in my youth, I wanted the ability to freeze time so that I could do some research, some studying, whatever like that, and then start time back up and proceed based upon that new current set of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And I realized a long time ago that if I had ever had this ability. In real calendar time, I would already be dead. Yeah, I would have, I, I would have died as a as a physically eighty five year old man fifteen years ago, maybe but twenty. Had, but you would have had the best comebacks every time. <laughs> <laughs> Can't deny that. I, yes. Yes, I would have had great snappy comebacks. 
just on the ball every time. Mm-hmm. That would have been great. But you just came up with another whole category of things, which would cause me to pause time. So I would have had really snappy comebacks in third grade and dead in fourth grade. Nice. I just, I would have spent 15 times as much time with the universe frozen than with time moving. And I would have just aged at an astronomical rate. Yeah. So I've got a big rant about Android and iOS. Before I dive into that, do you have any questions or concerns <laughs> about any of my overly enthusiastic web VR and daydream stuff? Um not really at this point. I've got a whole set of notes now of things that I gotta go hunt down and take a look at and see if I can find more information on them. Um I would definitely say that the Firefox thing is yeah. the most important takeaway. It's just awesome. Um, I'm not sure how it's supposed to work. The way that I got it working is on the PC, I find something that I want to view in VR, and I turn on Steam VR, or it turns it on for me in some cases. I hop into the headset, and I go to the Steam dashboard, and at the bottom where you've got the little desktop button, mm-hmm. Click on that and then use the controller to point at the little headset button in the browser window in Firefox. And then you'll see kind of behind you that the VR world will have been replaced. So it'll replace Steam Home or whatever you are. And then when you exit the Steam dashboard, you're in that world already. Okay. Some of the downsides I've seen with it so far, um, this is definitely part of my kludgy setup my desk is way outside of my play area at this point so if my with the web vr applications that i've seen so far they seem to put position zero based on where the headset is when the application starts or when it goes into vr mode so i just have to run over and put my headset on the floor before i do that (laughs) with most you know most uh steam vr games they map out to your play area specifically right so yeah just the biggest caveat i have no idea how to do it with the rift yet um you, you, know, you don't pretty cool stuff you don't have a rift right no okay i was just checking I, <laughs> yeah you never know i did order one for the summer sale and then a combination of things made me cancel it one is just how many USB ports I would have needed <laughs> to get it running. And like I, I just I don't have any more USB ports to spare. I don't want another hub in here. And then just the idea of having three cameras manufactured by Facebook in my home just didn't make me feel great. So yeah, canceled that. <clears throat> okay. So You've been a Mac and iOS user for years, mm-hmm. and you have converted almost entirely to Windows, mm-hmm. particularly for development purposes. And now your primary phone is an Android device for the first time ever. Correct. What do you think? Yeah, so, so the Windows side... 
is definitely because of VR. Um, that's just where the development is. We all know how hilariously bad my attempt at VR development on the Mac was. Um, on the Android side, two things really compelled me to get a Pixel. One was the Google Assistant that I've been using for the last couple of weeks. I've been using it on the iPhone. I had the Google Home device, and I, I started using these things because of some RSI issues I've been having over the last, the last couple of months in particular. I decided the more I can talk to a computer, the better. The more things I can automate, the more things I can just do with voice command, the better. So I've been. If you were my neighbor and had never met me or didn't know anything about me, you would assume that more than two, more than one person lives here, because I'm always just talking now. Um, so the the Google Assistant was one of the big sellers. The other one was obviously the Daydream stuff, and what really sold the Daydream stuff was Chrome coming to Daydream. The applications themselves are really great, but I'm really looking forward to just being able to bounce around the internet. In VR, without having to take the headset on and off, um, and I, you know, I'd recently switched my business over to Google Services and been pretty happy with that. And the Android is really well integrated with all those services, obviously made by the same people. The Google Assistant is much more integrated into Android than it is to obviously an iOS device, where it's basically just an application that you can talk to. On this device, it, it can actually do things. Um, it's just, it's surprising how good this phone is. Um, I've never, I've seen Android phones before. I've had friends that have them. You know, I've received lots of green text messages and uh, just never really had any interest in checking it out. And then over the summer, I've seen more and more stuff on Pixel and Pixel 2 coming out and decided to get this phone and it's it's ridiculously good the the amount of stuff you can customize on it is pretty incredible i'm using pretty much just native stuff for now i'm using the pixel launcher that came with it and just i haven't customized it too much because i just want to figure out why to customize certain things i'll just use the defaults until i have a better reason to um this phone is definitely not perfect. There are things that iOS does better and things that this does better. Like, for instance, this may make you laugh, but Apple devices actually handle Bluetooth better, which is hilarious because Apple is notoriously bad at handling Bluetooth devices. But that should indicate how badly the Bluetooth experience is on, on the Pixel. <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah, mainly I'm just talking about Bluetooth headphones. I've got the AirPods. They I can use them as Bluetooth headphones on the Pixel, but you, you obviously don't get any of the Apple magic, like being able to pause by taking one out of your ear, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, just some weird connectivity issues with Bluetooth. I moved over to Google Fi as well, which is their cellular service. I've been on Verizon basically since uh, two jobs ago where we had company phones and I just took over the plan when I left that job and never really had anything against Verizon. Never really liked them. I just had a 
consistent feeling that I'm being ripped off. And it was to the point where my phone was, my phone bill was 70 bucks a month for phone calls and text messages and one gig of data. Like, this is just a ripoff. No, you were being ripped off. Yeah. Now I've got Google Fi where I pay 30 bucks for the same thing. Um, And then data is $10 a gig. Which is, it sound, I guess that's high if you use a ton of data. I'm almost always on Wi-Fi, so I don't. So it's not that big of a deal. Um, what else? So battery life, allegedly the battery life on the Pixel is great. I haven't seen that because I've been using the Daydream constantly. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's definitely a battery hog. But it also it's got fast charging, so it can I can get it down to thirty or forty percent and have it back up to hundred percent in half an hour, as opposed to waiting for the iPhone all day. Um, just navigating the phone is really really fast. There's so much more to customize. My home screen on the iPhone is basically just a page of app icons because there's no other way for that to be. You can have some folders and app icons. If you don't want an icon, put it in a folder, but you can't really get rid of anything and still have it on the phone. Where the difference with Pixel, the it's much more like on Windows. You can have stuff installed without having shortcuts on your desktop. Um, that's kind of the same design pattern here. You can put application icons on the home screen but they have an entire app drawer where all of the apps installed on the device are. You can get to those that way, or you can get to them by searching. So I just have just the apps that I actually use on a daily basis right on, actually in some subfolders on the desktop, and a couple of widgets. This thing actually has widgets that run on the screen, so there's like a, you know, a nice little weather widget. There's one I use for Pocket Cast. Um, one for Google Keep, things like that. So in terms of usability, it's pretty cool. The I've always heard Android people talk about how much how better notifications are, and I had no idea what they were talking about. And now I do, and iOS notifications are pathetic. Absolutely pathetic. It is just a way of getting push notifications with a string of text. Whereas Android notifications, it's it's a bad name for it. It's more of like a feed of activity for your device or all your connected services. So yes, they can be push notifications from certain things, but you can also get notifications for when things finish downloading or when updates are ready or all different kinds of stuff. And you've got customizable control over what kind of notifications you get for different devices. So there's a way to turn on a developer mode. Um, where you can say, you know, this this type of or this specific application can only send these types of notifications. I don't ever want to hear any chimes from this or anything like that. It's pretty neat stuff. Um, in terms of like just the way that I've been using Google Apps and services, I just get more done on this phone. Like I, I need to do less on my desktop when I sit down in the morning to prepare my day. I can just do everything on my phone in two or three minutes. You know, set up a daily checklist, check my inbox, go through the inbox app, uh, set up the calendar for the day. It's all really, really fast. 
and then the Google Assistant can just do stuff for me, so I can set up most of the reminders and stuff I need for the day right with that. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if I had gotten an Android before this, if I would have been happy with it. I think this particular flavor of it's Google made the phone, Google designed the phone. Actually, HTC actually manufactured it, but <laughs> Google designed the hardware for it. This is a stock version of Android that's customized with the Pixel launcher and a couple other features. Um, in terms of hardware, it's the same. It's, it's competing in the same class as the iPhone 7 or the Samsung, was it S8? Galaxy S8, whatever it is, whatever their their flagship stuff is. So this is this is not a cheap phone. It's definitely mm-hmm. a premium thing. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that it's hardest to get used to is the fingerprint sensor is on the back, but that's actually really really cool. It seems to be very contentious. Some people hate it, and some people love it. I think it's great because it makes this phone completely one handed for me. Even though it's huge and I'm a small person. I can actually anchor the keyboard on one side onto the right so I can type with one thumb and I can both unlock and relock the phone and use the volume blockers all with my right thumb. Hmm. Okay. It's hard to describe. No, Um, I I think I'm getting it. I don't know if everybody else is, but I I think I'm getting it. With the iPhone 7, I've always had to use it two-handed. Like Pretty much everything I've ever done with it, I've had to use two-handed, even to just pick it up and adjust the volume and things like that. So short of the Bluetooth handling, have there been any negatives? Um, what do you miss from your iPhone? If anything. So some apps are better on iPhone. The Twitter app. I know cool people use third party Twitter apps. I'm not that cool. I just use the stock Twitter app. Um, that one's better on iOS. Some of the Google apps are actually better on iOS, which is hilarious. Like Gboard. <laughs> <laughs> Gboard is actually a little bit better on iOS, things like that. Um, one thing that I absolutely loved, and I almost, it almost made me cry a little bit. Anytime I set up a new iOS device, it's basically, hey, get ready to enter your Apple ID 50 times because we don't know how to set up any kind of user profiles on our devices. So I, when I was starting up the phone, I just entered in my Google Apps account, and that was it. It configured every app on the phone for me. Everything was plugged in and ready to go. I never had to type that in again. Still haven't. I've had it for four days. And then when I added a second Google profile to YouTube, it added that to all the other applications as well. So at any time I can toggle in between personal and business accounts on any device on a per instance basis. So I can be in Google Docs and say, no, I need this, this spreadsheet from three years ago from some finance folder in my personal Gmail account. I can just switch accounts real quick and go and get that. Um, trying to think of the other downsides the phone gets a little bit warm even without the vr stuff it gets ridiculously hot in vr there are times where just using it regularly it gets a little warm where the the iphone has always been cold to the touch for me um i have unlocked it 
quite a lot in my pocket somehow. <laughs> so there's okay. been a couple times where I'll be listening to a podcast and just skip an episode or something because it's decided that I've clicked a button. Um, trying to think of what else is actually interesting about it. I guess, well, you said what are the biggest downsides? Messaging is probably the biggest. Um, the iPhone messaging messages app is pretty great, I think. I, I don't care about all the stickers and stuff like that, but it's consistent. It works. iMessage is pretty cool. The The whole notion of unlimited text messages is kind of a scam if you have an iPhone because you will never send a text message to most, most people. Now I'm back in SMS land, and I tried to use Google Allo, and you saw how scary that is. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, if you send a Google Allo message to somebody who is not on Google's um, uh, ecosystem, they get like four text messages with a whole thing of like, here's how you opt out and here's how you get in and here's how this all works. And then somewhere in there is your text message. It was, um, it was a lot of stuff. And it doesn't even come from my number. Right. Right. It didn't come from Joe. It was like Google messaging stuff, but it was just one of those like five digit weird routing code thing. Numbers. It's a little weird. It might as well have said, hey, I swear this is Joey. It really is. (laughs) I've just been arrested in a foreign country. Please deposit $5,000 in this account to help bail me out. Totally legit. Not a scam. I'm going to start ending all my messages that way. Not a scam. (laughs) (laughs) That should be your your SIG file for your uh, business email. No, this is totally legit, man. (laughs) (laughs) Not a scam. So yeah, the, uh, the Google Fi and the Pixel does have tethering on by default. I don't have to pay extra for that, which is pretty nice. So I can actually still carry around the iPhone 7 and just tether it with the Pixel and use one data plan. So I'm that guy. <laughs> so that's our show for this week. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at VRHermit underscore Dave. And I'm at VRHermit underscore Joe. Uh, we also have a website, VRHermits.com. If you could, like us on iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, or your podcast player of choice. 